Thank you, ladies. What a beautiful reminder from a very familiar hymn. If you grew up in a church like this one, you probably have heard that song hundreds of times at the end of a church service as an invitation song. But I trust that indeed that will be the prayer of your heart and prepare you for the preaching of God's word this morning. If you have never placed your faith only in the Lord Jesus Christ for the cleansing and forgiveness of your sin and for your only expectation and hope of everlasting life, then I encourage you, come just as you are. You don't need to clean yourself up. You just need to have a change in your heart and mind about your sin, about who Jesus Christ is, and understand that his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient, it is complete, it is for you. Jesus rose from the dead as the living Son of God. He wants you to personally respond to him and trust him for salvation. For those of us who know Christ as Savior, the Bible commands us in James chapter 4, draw nigh to God. The wonderful promise is, is that he will draw nigh to us. So just as you are today, come to him. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, we find our text this morning. I only have 11 points this morning, but I don't have any subpoints. They're all, well, kind of I do. But this is from 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to start. We'll be looking through the first six points from this passage. And one of those actually has some subpoints just by the nature of the passage. And then we're going to look at some other characteristics. You say, why, Pastor Todd, are you preaching a message on the characteristics of a man called the ministry? Because I believe that from our midst, God is going to call and raise more men to the gospel ministry. It has been neat to see what God has done over these years, how God has called and developed men within our own ministry who are still serving within this ministry or they are serving in other ministries. And folks, until Christ comes back in the rapture, we still have a mission and God has still called and ordained men to the gospel ministry. And so my challenge is for all of you men to consider, would God have me to be in the ministry, not that you'd look at these necessarily as qualifications, although some of them are qualifications from someone who is in the ministry, but are these things that God is working in your life? Another reason is, and we do have a bunch of preachers here today, um, but I always find that when I am in pre- preparation for a message, I think I'm probably the one who gets the most convicted out of anybody. And this particular passage, of course, is very challenging to me. Uh, because of the privilege of the re- and responsibility that God has given me in the ministry. And then another reason why I want to preach this message this morning is because although I would love to have, as we say here in Atlanta, all y'all to stay here for the next 20 or 25 years, however the long the Lord allows, Lord allows me to stay here and pastor, I know that that's not realistic because God brings people here to bring in. Some stay for many years, and I praise the Lord for that. But oftentimes, God brings people here for a while. He matures, he develops, he equips them, and God then takes them to other ministries where they can be invested in different places. And the benefits, uh, the fruits of what God has done here uh, enables them and equips them to be a blessing in other places. And as you go, as God would move you, I think you need to look very carefully at the leadership of the church and understand that there are no perfect pastors because there are no perfect men. But men ought to be having these particular characteristics in their life. And, by the way, for all men who are born-again believers, whether you are called to a full-time occupational ministry or not, you are called to serve the Lord full-time with your life. 
maybe not an occupation, but God's called you to serve. And the same qualifications and characteristics that we see here um, in the scriptures, uh, you ought to be, that those ought to be goals in your life, pressing toward the mark for those things. So look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 1. Look, if you would, we're just going to go through a verse at a time. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. First of all, he, has, he is in a determined pursuit of the ministry. The word desire means to stretch towards, to reach for. Uh, if you watch the Summer Olympics and you see the like the 100-meter uh, dash or 200-meter or whatever, uh, in anything that is, even in, if you are looking at uh, watching a marathon, and even though it's 26.2 miles, you will see often the one who wins that race reaching towards the finish line, stretching towards uh, crossing the finish line first. And that's kind of that idea is to eagerly be stretching out. It means to have a hot pursuit after. Uh, for those of you that like hunting, it's like a beagle chasing a rabbit. All right, he's in hot pursuit. He's going after a man. His nose is to the ground and he's sniffing and he's baying and, and he sees that rabbit and he takes off after it. There's a hot pursuit you know, if, you, if God has placed that desire in your heart, the Bible says in Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And as you walk with God and you de develop a fellowship and relationship with him, as you delight in that fellowship and, and in God's transformation in your life, God will place in your heart appropriate desires so that he can fulfill them. And so as God has placed that desire in your heart and you are pursuing that, that is a wonderful thing. And you may say, Pastor Todd, I know God hasn't called me to a full-time preaching gospel ministry kind of a ministry. Man, I have a desire to serve God all out and even to partner uh, with spiritual leadership to accomplish the work of Christ. Second of all, he has the desire to do the hard work of the ministry. If you look back in verse 1, it says, He desireth a good work and that word work doesn't mean because sometimes we refer to that you know well how are things going at your work we'll say of a missionary i mean the church or the mission you know how is your work doing it could be a christian camp but that's not what it's talking about here this word work literally means labor and there's a desire to do the hard work of the ministry if you want to go into the ministry to have an easy life don't go into the ministry all right uh, there is much hard work. It is intensive labor. But those who God has put that passion and that call and are in pursuit of that also are willing and ready to face the labor, the hard work of the ministry because there's a delight in that. Is If you are occupationally being fulfilled because you are in the will of God and you are, and you are seeing God, it may not be your cup of tea, by the way. You know, the occupation, the, the particular job title in which you find yourself may not be that which is most fulfilling, but because you understand God has placed you in that position, in that company, for such a time as this, and it's a mission field, you can, and you can feel fulfilled, you can be fulfilled in that ministry and also in that occupation as you allow God to change your attitude towards that particular job. And you ought to be willing to do the work and, and, and to roll up your sleeves and, and be a hard worker. Of all people in all the world that ought to have a reputation for being hard workers, it ought to be Christians. We are not to be slothful business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We are not to do work with eye service as men pleasers, but doing the will of God from the heart. We do this not for the glory of men and not for a raise or promotion. We do this for the glory of God. So he desires to do the hard work of the ministry. Number three, he is living a disciplined life of godliness. This is verses two and three. A bishop then must be blameless. That doesn't mean perfect. 
but it means that his testimony is above reproach. This does not mean that he acts perfect. It does not mean that he's not transparent. We ought to be transparent. It means that he is pursuing the holiness of Christ and living consistently a holy, godly, separated, dedicated life. And that no one can come and speak against his testimony in any way to disqualify him from ministry. He must be blameless. The husband of one wife. He, he's, he must have a strong marriage. His relationship with his wife uh, must be a solid, strong one. He must prioritize his marriage and his family because the two are one. He must be vigilant and sober. Peter uses these two words when he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. What does the word pastor mean? Shepherd. What is one of the responsibilities of a shepherd? To be vigilant, right? To be on his guard and to take seriously any perceived threat to the flock. And so it is with an under-shepherd of a church. Jesus is the good shepherd. Pastors are under-shepherds. But under-shepherds have a responsibility to the chief shepherd, to the good shepherd, to exercise vigilance. There needs to be a vigilance in our own lives personally. But there needs to also be a a vigilance and a sober-mindedness. In other words, that idea of sober-minded, gird up the loins of your mind. It spoke of men getting ready to go into warfare. It's not putting on your cleats to play soccer. It's not putting on your high tops to play basketball. You You are strapping on the bulletproof vest and the body armor. And you are getting your weapon loaded. And your mindset is you're about to go into a firefight. Be sober, be vigilant. We're spiritual warfare. We have a spiritual perspective of good behavior. There's a godliness and there is a goodness. And that good behavior is the idea of generous, of kind. It's also uh, that which is straight or that which is excellent. And so of good behavior. And then given to hospitality. One who is welcoming, one who is gracious, one who is generous, one who treats others well, one who who is willing to invite people into their life, whether that's into their home or whether that is whatever that is, it, it, it is the ministry, boil it down, the ministry is to the glory of God serving people. If it weren't for people, we wouldn't need to be in ministry. And so the hospitality is a big part of that. And we can go further again because of the sake of time and because I have all these other points I want to get through. Uh, this message could really be broken apart much more uh, in much more detail and depth. I'm just giving an overview, a general summation here. But then apt to teach. It means that there is a readiness to teach, which means there's a readiness to learn and to study. If you're going to be an excellent teacher, you must be an excellent learner. And so this idea is to be apt to teach, to be ready to teach. It's not being a know-it-all. It's not trying to just tell others what to do and being ready to do that at any moment. No, it is an aptness. It is a readiness to teach. And teach is not always just conveying information from one person to the other. Often it is also showing a person. You know, if I'm going to teach you how to bow hunt, okay, uh, I'm not just going to give you a book and say, here, read this. And we're going to have a a four-week class and I'm going to explain it. We'll watch a couple of videos and then you'll know how to bow hunt. No, I'm going to take you out and we're going to shoot and I'm going to get you very familiar with that bow and I'm going to get you familiar with the stand and with the the area you're going to be hunting and all kinds of things. And we are going to work through that process where you are ready to bow hunt. It's that way in, in any other capacity of life. And then, not given to wine. 
And I believe that this is more than just wine or a strong drink, though that would be included. But it means that there is not also a physical reliance upon any physical substance, whether that's alcohol or painkillers or prescription drugs or energy drinks or even coffee. Because we are to be strengthened and controlled and empowered by the grace of God and led by the Holy Spirit. And we are not to allow anything to control us. I believe this also means we're not to be gluttons addicted to food or to any other thing that could control us. No hobby, no interests. I know that is a broad application of this particular phrase, but I think you'll see it borne out even more as we go through this. No striker. In other words, uh, there is a, a humility, there is a temperance about one who characteristic of a man called the ministry in that he is not ready to fight. And then, that doesn't mean not willing to stand for the truth, by the way. That means one whose temper, we call this meekness, it would be the biblical term, my strength under God's control, my temper as being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Even in righteous indignation, we don't lash out. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Paul warns Timothy, but they that will be rich, if that is their focus, and it's not just talking about people in the ministry, it's talking about anybody, but when that becomes the focus and that becomes the pursuit, it begins to consume your thinking and your affections and your imagination. They that will be rich, speaking of Christians, fall into temptation and into snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, which while many, having followed after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And while we need to be careful stewards of what God has entrusted to us, remember that Paul also wrote to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So we are not given to filthy lucre. There is contentment there and faithful stewardship. But patient, not a brawler. There it is again, not covetousness. These things, the idea of allowing things and possessions and circumstantial life to become controlling and to become the the main perspective or focus of my life. These things, one that ruleth his own house well. So number four is he through study and practice develops leadership qualities. Verse four, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Again, we're going through this quickly just for the sake of time, but it would be one who through study and practice is developing and has developed leadership qualities, specifically, I believe, spiritual leadership qualities, but leadership also in that broader sense. And then number six, he has a distinct or excuse me, he displays godly maturity and humility. Look in verse 6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Number 7. He is sound in doctrine. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and snare of the devil. Without what? Those who are without the church, those who are unbelievers. He must have a good testimony, not only among believers, but in the community. His conduct needs to be a broad reproach, not only in the context of the Christian community, but in the community at large. He needs to be sound also in, in uh, doctrine. Titus 1.9, the Bible says, Holding fast the faithful word that he had been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. So the first part of, of Titus 1 and verse 9 is telling us that one has the characteristic of a man called to the ministry is that he is sound in doctrine. 
You don't have to have a degree, a bachelor of arts degree in Bible or pastoral studies or Christian counseling to be sound in doctrine. You need to study the word. You need to know the teachings of scripture. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it according to the word of God. You need to be well-versed in the scripture. And then number eight, he is skilled in the preaching and teaching of God's word. Now, specifically, we're talking about those who believe they are called or characteristics of a person called to or considering the call to full-time ministry, the gospel ministry. And that he is skilled in, in preaching and teaching the word of, of God. And that's the first part of Titus 1.9. He is able by, both by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So the teaching and the preaching. Preaching or teaching informs and instructs preaching calls to a point of decision. It is a challenge. And then number eight, or excuse me, number nine, he is a servant of the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, uh, this almost seems like kind of a, 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 an af- not an afterthought, but just kind of like a sideline thought where Paul says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. He's talking about striving there. Um, but, you know, he, he, he uses this title, but a servant of the Lord. Uh, folks, that's what I am. I'm a servant of the Lord. That's what you need to be, a servant of the Lord. It doesn't matter what role God puts you in. It doesn't matter where God places you, wherever you are, wherever God moves you. Picture yourself as a pawn on the chessboard, and you make yourself available that wherever God wants to use you, wherever he wants to move you, that you are willing to do that. Hey, listen, as a servant of the Lord, that doesn't just mean that all I do is teach and preach and go on visits and that sort of a thing. It means I am willing to do whatever God says needs to be done. And if that means, and praise the Lord, we have many people around here who serve in many capacities. But if that means that I need to clean a bathroom, I'll clean a bathroom. Because if God shows me, hey, that bathroom needs to be clean and there's nobody to do it. A servant of the Lord does not say that's beneath my dignity. I'm not going to do that. I am a pastor. No, he scrubs the toilet or he mows the lawn or he does whatever has to be done. Now, praise the Lord. As I said, we have many people serving in many capacities here at Berean Baptist Church. And I'm so thankful for that. And if you are looking for ministry to be done, we've got a lot of ministry to do. Ladies, if you're interested in serving the Lord through the ministries of Berean, please see my wife, Krista. She will gladly put you to work. Men, I'll gladly put you to work. If you're looking for things to do as a couple or as a family, there's much labor to be done here in this ministry and in our community. We will gladly put you to work serving the Lord. But we need to be servants, which means we need to do whatever God shows us is necessary to be done to do the work of the ministry. If Jesus in John chapter 13 set for us and for his apostles the example of washing the filthy, stinking feet of disciples, who, by the way, had stinking attitudes at the time, because in the middle of that, in in Luke, what does the Bible say the disciples had been doing? Again, they had been arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And as they're arguing, Jesus gets up from supper and he girds himself with a towel, pours water in a basin and begins to wash their feet. That was the job of the slave that got the nastiest jobs. And Jesus is the rabbi. It was unthinkable in Israel that a rabbi would do any menial task. But Jesus is making a point. And he says, you should do as I have done to you. I've given you an example. We need to be servants of his and after his likeness. Number 10, he's a shepherd leader. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 to 4. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Lead by example. Someone has said, you can drive cattle, but you've got to lead sheep. And so we lead by example. 
We're not lords over God's heritage. Now, do we have to make decisions? Yes. You know, are there times when a pastor has to meet with the deacons and say, men, uh, we, need to, we need to exercise church discipline here. Yes, he's not being a tyrant or a lord over, over God's people. He is fulfilling God's responsibilities commanded in the scripture. But just understand that he is a shepherd. He is a shepherd leader. And a shepherd leader loves the sheep. He's willing to sacrifice. even lay down his life for the sheep. He'll go after the straying sheep. He looks for the sheep to be provided and to be to be secure. He is looking and vigilant against the dangers. A man called to the ministry has or is developing these characteristics. And then number 10, or excuse me, number 11, he is sure of his calling by God into the ministry. First Timothy 1 12, Paul's own testimony is this, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath counted me faithful for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Say, hey, God enabled me. God in his grace and his faithfulness enabled me and he called me to the ministry. And he was confident of that calling by God to the ministry. Maybe some of you men are saying, you know what? I, 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 I really have that heart. Some of the things you've said have really resonated with my heart this morning. But man, I'm not sure that I could, that I could do that. Well, wait a minute. If God enables you, if he counts you faithful and he's calling you to the ministry, the Bible says faithful is he which calleth you who also will what? Do it. Remember, you're just the servant. You're just the tool. He's the one who does the work. And if he's calling you, if you have, uh, if you are seriously considering as a young man, thoughts about the possibility of considering the ministry, whether you're a young man or an older gentleman, Hey, listen, as long as you have life and there's breath in your lungs, there is opportunity for you to serve. And if God's calling you to occupational ministry, to full-time gospel ministry, whatever that looks like, mission field or ministry or teaching in a Christian college or pastoring or evangelism, there's a ton of different opportunities. But if God's calling you, focusing and calling you to ministry, uh, if you are interested at all in that, please come and see me. I would be glad to answer your questions, sit down and talk with you, encourage you however I can, help you to study this out, see what the next steps might be. For those of you that might be leaving us, and I pray that that's not true, but if it is because God is moving you away because of a job or some other circumstance, let me encourage you that as you are evaluating that church, don't overlook, and I'm not talking about taking a checklist and following the pastor around for a week and scrutinizing him, you know, and marking everything off the checklist. But I am talking about being alert, being aware, paying attention, praying through these things. Is this a pastor that I can follow? Is this a pastor that these characteristics are in his life? Is he complete? Is he perfect? Not yet, but he is faithfully and consistent with these characteristics in his life. And he is growing in these things. Yes, that is a pastor that I can grow with, who I can serve with. And those of us men who God has called to the ministry, may our hearts be challenged to not assume that we have all of these things down. We are still a work in progress ourselves. And maybe there's something the Spirit of God has touched your heart as he did mine. Um, And I've already spent some time in prayer over a couple of these uh, items that God would help me grow me and help me to be more faithful in some of these things. And I trust that God will do that for you as well. Most of all, my friend, if you don't know for sure uh, whether you have eternal life or not, 
1 John 5, 13 declares, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, believe that he is the eternal, perfect, sinless Son of God. And when you believe on the name of Jesus, it not only means that you believe in who he is according to his character, but also in what he did. And what did he do? As the high priest, he offered himself as a sacrifice as the Lamb of God, he was the sacrifice and he shed his blood and he died on the cross as the sinless, perfect Son of God, as the once for all, final, perfect and complete sacrifice for man's sin. He died, was buried and being God conquered death, rose again. He's the living, eternal Son of God. He loves you. He died and rose again for you. If you will believe on his name, who he is and what he did as your only hope of everlasting life, then you can have that same confidence that I have that if I were to drop dead today, I'd be in heaven with Jesus. If he were to come back in the rapture today, then I'd be with him. And you can know that too. If that's not been true of you, if you don't know for sure, uh, I would encourage you to seek the spiritual help that you need. So this morning in a moment, we'll have an invitation. Our pianist will come and play a hymn of invitation. We'll stand with our heads bowed. And while the music's playing, the pastors will be here in the front. If you're a believer and you say, hey, I'd like someone to pray with me, or I'd like to, to talk to a pastor about meetings sometime later this week, uh, there's some, some concerns in my life, or I believe God's doing this particular work. Please let one of us know that. If you just want someone to pray with you, we'll have a prayer partner connect with you and pray with you. Uh, if you need to find the way of salvation and you say, I don't know for sure, but I want to know that Jesus has forgiven me of my sin and given me eternal life, please come and let one of us know that. We'll take someone, have someone, a trained Bible counselor, take you to a quiet, private place, sit down, and in a few minutes, show you the way of salvation. You can call on Christ and receive eternal life and know that you are born again as brothers and sisters in Christ as God has spoken to your heart in some way. Uh, and, and let me encourage you to be willing to respond as God has so moved in your life. And if that is in a definite, clear decision that you are making in response to the Lord this morning, then the front steps are available. Come, kneel, pray, put yourself on the altar before the Lord, pour yourself out as a living sacrifice to him in that area of your life. That if you can't kneel, uh, because of physical limitations, if you want to come here to the front pew and just sit and spend some time with the Lord, you are invited to do that as well. Shall we stand as our pianist comes and we'll play our hymn of invitation? Uh, pastors, uh, if you will be down front, uh, please respond as God has worked this morning in your heart.